If you're into designer furniture and you want the sofa that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends and all the quality, but without the designer prices. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com. The Rovers Chat YouTube channel is proudly sponsored by SixYardsOut.com. They've got retro football from every era with mugs, phone cases and much more. They also have plenty of Rovers goods including apparel with the famous 94-95 season and this season's kit. Check them out using the link in the description below. Hello and welcome to another edition of the 1875 podcast. I'm your host, Tom Schofield, and as always, I'm joined by Alex and Ollie. As the international break comes to a close and the dust has begun to settle on what promising start to the season um, for Tony Mowbray's men, we look back on what has been, what is to come, and maybe have a word or three about a certain Ben Burton Diaz. Um, I'm sure a few of you listening have won quite a bit of money, so you'll be um, looking forward to listening to that. And if you have won some money and you are listening, do uh, obviously follow us on Twitter. Well, actually, if you've already followed us, you listen to the podcast. But message us on Twitter, send us a message, show us what you've won. Uh, we love seeing that stuff. Unfortunately, I didn't put any money on um, the bet, so yeah, more fool me. I didn't have the confidence in Big Ben to, to back up his, his season last last year. That's my problem. With that being out of the way, though, the nasty's done, I'll, we're going to jump straight into it and just speak about, obviously, Blackburn winning a game when they're occupying a top six spot for the first time in Tony Mowbray's tenure. Uh, it's a long time coming. I'm not too sure on the stat, but it was something ridiculous. Alex, as the ever-pessimist, I'm going to jump straight to you with regards to this one. Um, was it a big monkey off Tony Mowbray's back? Finally getting that out of the way? And don't, don't talk about the two losses immediately after just yet. We can come on to that. Um, but was it something that was important to get out of the way just to at least maybe shut some people up? Saying that, like you said, with the two losses, um, <laughs> they probably have a point. Um, I think it's difficult to tell whether, um, and I think Andy Watson did a good kind of um, read upon this, didn't he? That is the fact that we always seem to kind of fall at the top six hurdle, is that just due to a mid-table team having, rather than the usual win-loss draw spell that mid-table teams do, that rather have a weird way of doing it where we will win three or four games in a row and then lose, you know, not winning five or six. Um, and so that kind of thought has always been in the back of my mind that are we just kind of a weird mid-table team that has a weird way of going about doing that? Uh, over the course of a season. Um, but you would like to think that the number of times it's happened makes it more likely that there is maybe some online mentality problem there, that there isn't, um, it isn't solely down to just being a mid-table side and not having the requisite quality, that there must be um, some kind of inhibition when we get into that position in the division. I'm not so sure. Um I would probably lean to the fact that, that there is something underlying going on there, but just purely because of the number of times it's happened and purely because of the number of times it's happened under different managers. I always remember it happening under Gary Boyer, even Paul Lambert. Um, we never troubled the playoffs under Owen Coyle, so I can't say anything about that. But under the other two managers that we've had for any kind of extended period of time, the similar patterns seem to have emerged. So... Um, it's definitely a Philip for Marbury to get that win when we were in the top six but I would have to say that from all accounts Cardiff have been just awful very recently I mean and they, they can't buy a win um, and they were shipping goals leading into the game against uh, against Rovers and then they shipped goals uh, shortly afterwards, and they've and they've carried on losing in the same kind of vein. Um, so what I would say is that we a great opportunity presented itself, a bad side turned up at Ewood, and we punished them. Now, how often have we not punished bad sides when it comes to Ewood? How often have we let them into a game and allowed them to dictate the play? 
we didn't allow that to happen. We took control of the game. We seized the initiative and we won. So you've got to give everyone credit for that. You're doing, Ollie, just, just to off what Alex just said, he just mentioned, that obviously, I don't know, we're thinking back to the Cardiff game now, and there's been a couple of games since then, but he mentioned the fact that we did take advantage of a poor side. I think back to that Gary Boyer spell, like Alex mentioned as well, where there was a game against Yeovil, rock bottom of the league, definitely relegated, no hope um, of them staying up, and they held us to a nil-nil draw. So is there some satisfaction that for, the, for once it feels like that a side has come to Ewood who are playing poorly and not playing well and we've been able to put them to the sword and emphatically as well I think it, no one was expecting a 5-0 win we may have expected to win the game but no one expected a 5-0 victory um, even West Brom who everyone is tipping to go up this season only put four past them so there's definitely some some credit to be given isn't there yeah I think so and it's I think it's a good comparison because I think you could in a nutshell you could say Bowie had a relatively young talented side and Mowbray has a relatively young certainly a talented side last season and with a bit of difference probably a similarly talented but not quite so this season and yeah I think it's hard to pin down to pin this type of thing down on individuals there's probably just a general you know you could go anyone that's been watching fever pitch on the BBC that's quite good I think they talk the season we won the Premier League, they talk about how close we were to blowing it really. Um, you know, it got it got right down to the wire and that mentality of getting over the line. Um so it's credit where credit's due. Um and we should never overlook the fact that, you know, I wouldn't wanna I wouldn't lay the blame at Tony Mowbray or any players in specifically. It's just you know, you've got a young side with where we've often talked about game management, lack of leadership. And, you know, when the pressure ramps up, um, we've often crumbled. Um, but, you know, we got out of League One at the first time of asking, um, which, yeah, I should never be overlooked as a kind of recent achievement to actually just get it done. Um, it's difficult as well. Sunderland struggled quite a lot. Yeah. And I think they, yeah, the they will. As well. and, yeah. Um, so that should never be overlooked that people talk about the mentality. Um, obviously, it's like, you know, every season's unique to itself, um, but we still did it. Um, but I think, you know, how often are we going to win a game at home 5-1 with 39% possession? You know, it's a, that's kind of almost the theme for this season that we're playing in a slightly different way. I've certainly heard Brereton and a couple of other players come out and talk about... Um, I mean, you hear things, similar things last season, but obviously the expectations were different, but there's not so much an underdog mentality because I think that's wrong. I think Brereton talked about how they are a young squad, but they're very hungry and there's a really strong togetherness kind of in the dressing room and during training. And um, we have been a bit more adaptable and flexible in how we're playing. So, you know, I although Cardiff have been very poor this season, um, given the way they were going to play and, you know, long throws, crosses, physical, you know, the usual thing that we trip ourselves up over. Um, and obviously then he scored from a long throw straight away. And I think a corner um, very early on in the game, and then maybe it might be a different story, but to, to kind of weather that storm and play a different way um, that we have been this season and actually get the win. Um, and it's, it's actually a stat that until Andy was, mentioning it it's something I hadn't actually clocked under Mowbray but um yeah credit where credit's due um sort of it's good to have got it done um and have got it done so emphatically um but yeah I don't think Cardiff didn't put some of their defending was pretty funny when you actually (laughs) quite laughable one long ball over the top um great pass I think it's from Buckley wasn't it but it was a it was interesting I can't imagine that the backlash could happened if if someone like uh, Lennon or Ayala had let that drop over their heads. Um, obviously, now so we spoke about that happiness and the elation after the Cardiff victory, followed up by two defeats, um, three two to Huddersfield. Um, I don't want to speak as much about that one, so I just want to gloss over it dead quick, Alex. I don't think there was much anger at the defeat to Huddersfield. And I think that's 
because we seem to put up quite a bit of a fight. And I think it's a general opinion that had we had Lennon on the pitch, we probably would have won that game. I think Carter and McGlure, or even Nyambi, Carter and McGlure just didn't cover themselves in, in praise, shall we say. Um, understandably so, but just dead quick. The Huddersfield game, how did you feel at the time? Is it only made worse because we weren't able to then bounce back against Blackpool? It just felt like a missed opportunity to me. I don't think it was something to get incredibly angry about. I mean, in the in the championship, often you can have these gunslinging matches where they, they lurch from one, one way and the other and you don't know how it's going to end up. And uh, obviously, Rovers getting back into the game on two occasions and then finally conceding the winner, you know, with only five minutes to go. You know, you, you're obviously disappointed to concede so late you know, in an away game to get nothing. But I thought, you know, when you look back at the course of the season, can we really have many complaints? I think we've probably got out of jail in a couple of away games where we've picked up a point where perhaps we didn't have the better of the game. We had, you know, much less of the play and managed to kind of nick the ball from that one chance and, and defend quite well. I think the difference in this game was we probably, I would say we probably even maybe you could say, edged the general play of the game and the general chances of the game. If you can't actually keep the ball out of your own net, then you're in big problems in this league. Um, that's something that Marbury, you know, should be seeing for himself this season. You know, we've got a much inferior squad, in my opinion. We've got much less quality. But overall, across the piece, we've found a way to get results because we've not been conceding freely. And I think what you've seen in the last couple of games is and certainly the breakup of that defence and the results of that. I think the big problem for me was Tyler McGlure. I think um, you would say that Hayden Carter, whenever he has been included in the side, has shown a little bit more about himself, a little bit more streetwise um, kind of play, a little bit more quality and a bit more comfort at that level. I think that McGlure still looks like he's just out of the under-23s, and I don't know whether that's because of the quality of the loans he's had in Scotland or whether he genuinely just struggled on the night. Uh, but I thought that he was probably the main cause, not to put too much blame on him, uh, because I'd never pin it all on him, the, the team defends, you know, as a unit. But I thought that, McGlure, if you could pin it on anyone, I think you'd probably pin most of the blame for both of the losses on him. But I don't think that that's his fault. I think he's been thrown in at the deep end. He's a very young player who's very inexperienced. And I think as a manager in Marbury, can you really expect players to come in and adapt straight away when they've barely played a minute, you know, in the championship? No, he can't do that. You know, so I can criticise McGlure all I want for not rising properly to that cross and allowing, uh, allowing Huddersfield to get that goal. But, you know... He's had no preparation and the preparations haven't been ideal. Now we can talk a little bit about Daryl Lenehan and how he affects it when he's not there. And I think the one thing I would say is that we haven't really had sufficient time in the past four years without Daryl Lenehan to even form a plan of how we deal with him not being there. Uh, whether that be Scott Wharton being loaned out constantly to kind of gain that experience and then subsequently getting that Achilles injury and never really getting back into the side since. Uh, whether it be Ayala last season, never being fit, um, so we could never really rely on him either. And so we've constantly relied on Lenihan as that bedrock in the defence. So when he's taken away from that defence, you do see those gaps and you see the uh, worm percentages when he's not there. So yeah, um, Huddersfield away, very disappointing. I think it was an opportunity of miss to really assert ourselves in the top six. I thought it was a winnable game. I thought we showed that in the game. We created enough chances. We had enough possession and enough play. We weren't outclassed in the game. But it was just those key moments that, because of that lack of experience and that kind of lack of knowledge and that lack of preparation. But these are the things that we're going to learn throughout the season. You know, with a young team, you're going to take punches in the face. And it's about how you respond to that. It's about not going on those shocking nose dive runs that we've known, been known to go on under Marbury. Those like one win in 10, one win in 11. This season is about not doing that and about 
if we lose a couple of games and take a couple of punches, can we respond in the home game and eke out a one nil win? That'll be what makes this season, you know, last season. No, definitely make a good point. And, and I guess after two losses, you got the opportunity coming up against Coventry to eke out that 1-0 win. Before we speak about that, though, and, and a few other things, Ollie, I wanted to pop to you with regards to the Blackpool result. Obviously, the first half really was dire, and some people have criticised uh, Mowbray's selection. Like Alex mentioned, you don't want to lay all the blame on the blower, but it's quite evident he's not up to it, um, in my opinion. Or not, not that he's not up to it, that he's still got a bit of developing to do. And he still needs to have a little bit more. And it's also worth noting he's playing in an unfamiliar position at right back. Um, what did you feel about the Blackpool game? Second half was really good, actually. Like, really good. I was quite impressed how well we played. Issue was damage done in the first. So the first of in particular, how disappointing was that Blackpool game and the performance? Uh, extremely, you know, it is a... Yeah, I guess it's fair to call it a derby. Um yeah, um, I think following on from the Huddersfield loss, he kind of, you know, uh, Carter, when he's actually been asked to play at right back this season, I think was, has done okay. Um, and there were, it would have been, there were other options. He could have, you know, a, a makeshift back four. In Buckley's played at right back this season, hasn't he? I, I was expecting Buckley to slot in there. Myself, yeah, and there's Buckley as well. Um, but you've got the option. I know he wasn't necessarily 100% fit, but um, you know, Bradley Johnson's played at centre half for us in a game before and been okay. You know, he do you just go right, Johnson, Ayala, you know, it's put that experience straight in the middle, and then you've got Carter, Buckley can go out at right back. You could have put Travis there for argument's sake. You've got Davenport, who's not getting minutes at the moment. They're, and then or play Johnson in midfield. There were there were options available, um, and obviously he got it wrong. Blackpool identified a weakness. They capitalised on him having a very poor half, McGlaw that is, and yeah. And then two nil away from home, it's too much, you know. Actually, whilst we did actually create quite a lot of opportunities in the second half um, and played very well. You just give yourself too, too big, big a mountain to climb. And the, what was so disappointing for me is that it kind of an extension of the, I don't want to talk about the Huddersfield game, but just one thing, because we talked about it a lot on this pod over particularly last season is um, that game management. Um, you know, I think just quickly on like Huddersfield's third goal, it's 2-2. We've got a lot of injuries. We're again, you know, we're really up against it. We've got ourselves back to 2-2. You're in the last minutes of the game. You've got Clarkson and Ayala can take a yellow card at the halfway line during that, you know, in the build-up to that third goal. Every, you know, what, what did Luton do when we were chasing down a winner at Kenilworth Road? It doesn't matter. Just hit, Just kick them over. Just take the foul, take the yellow card, take a point. And and there's something about, and that's where Moby does anger me, is it's I, too honest and too, you know, he always comes across, you know, he's a nice man, he's very honest. Um, but it's if that starts to trans- transcend itself into the team where I'd rather have seen Clarkson just hack someone over and get a yellow card and we take a point. And then you're on a different reset for the Blackpool game. It's not, oh, you know, we've we've had a, a loss, a bit of a sickener of a 3-2 and you're going into the Blackpool game. And like even again, just maybe just being a bit smarter with the lineup, with the Blackpool game. And yeah, it's really disappointing. And, you know, actually before the season started, you may not say so, but, you know, the next two fixtures are tough. You know, we're playing two sides that are in really good form. So Both in the top um, six. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's I, probably the one thing I would say as well is, you know, people have criticised. Yes, there's criticism of Mowbray. Yes, there's been criticism of the activity in the summer um, and whether you're going to go on to this anyway. But the 
he had to make a choice. He went with the young players instead of kind of making a bit of a makeshift, moving some players around. Um, well, as soon as you talk about it, let me ask you then. So, in the summer, there was clearly, and it's been spoken about for, it seems to be that that video gets that's sort of an overtime, doesn't it, where Mowbray said defenders are coming. And that was the season after the first year back in the Championship when we had Charlie Mulgrew and Daryl Lennon as a centre-back pairing. Now, nothing really happened. We got Tossin on loan, who, yeah, was superb, but he was on loan. Last season, well, last season we were supposed to have Ayala, weren't we? He was injured, so we had Harwood Bellis, Jared Branthwaite. I can't think who else had slotted in there. Was there a did we make a mistake in summer signing a Brighton player on loan who was injured, and that meant that we it is only now that we may see him on the bench? Was there was that a mistake? Should should more have had the foresight to have thought, well, you know what, what if a centre half gets injured because Scott Wharton's not back yet? He's only just getting back to full fitness. This one, heck, not fit. So you're relying on Carter, who's played, what, three or four games at championship level, and McGlure, who I, met, I think played twice, one against Wigan, when Wigan couldn't find a win at all. They're on something like a 15-game winless run. The other one was against Sheffield Wednesday, and they trounced us, I think, 4-2, 4-1. I think... I thought about this quite a lot because I think it it's very easy to point the finger and I did actually think of a, another example because everyone's pointing, you know, Mowbray, the transfer window, etc. It's we, you know, we never know exactly who we did or didn't try to sign. Um, if everyone's fit, the squad depth is there, in my opinion. Um, but that's an if, you know, if you've got ranking Costello as cover for Nyambe, um, if Wharton's fit, you know, Lenehan, Wharton, Ayala are three very good centre-backs. You know, Wharton was as good as... But but this good... summer, we, we we went into this yeah, summer no, when no, Scott Wharton was injured and wouldn't be back and until October, November. So I think the, the club I likened it to, um, so if you look at Leicester this season, they've got no James Justin, which they knew about. They've got Johnny Evans, who's on a long-term injury, and now Fafana on a long-term injury. And their shipping goals are not doing very well. But people aren't turning around and criticising the summer or, you know, calling for Roger's head. It's just an unfortunate set of circumstances that you can see, you know, they're one of the best sides in the Premier League. Um, and at the moment, they can't buy a win and they can't stop conceding goals because they've got, key injuries at the back there is a very obvious reality to what happened at Huddersfield and Blackpool um and it's very and then so it's easy in hindsight to say why did you know why did we sign Van Heck you know when he was injured you know what when we're negotiating the deal was he what was the state of his fitness and injury at the time and um, we knew we knew kind of roughly had a timeline for Wharton we know you know he was never going to be back a month ago you know, that was, we knew that and we kind of knew Rankin Costello's had a little bit of a setback um, who could cover it fullback. And, um, you know, yes, it's a loan and yes, it's transpired he's injured, but, you know, Brighton have got a long list of very good centre-backs and, you know, by all accounts, he's a signing that we should be excited about maybe in, you know, the way that we've, when you look at what Tosin did and when you look at Harwood Bellis did, you know, if we've got another one akin to that, then brilliant. Um, but it, I, I just think it's really tricky because if everyone's fit, we're not having this conversation. I think we win at, you know, I think we draw at Huddersfield and we probably, and we win at Blackpool. For me, if we've, if Lennon's not injured, Nyambi's not injured, or we, you know, Wharton's there or Van Heck's there, or JRC's there at right back, I, I think we get four points from those games. I don't think saying, oh, we should have signed, could we have got Kipra, could we have, were we looking at someone else? It's too many ifs, buts and maybes. The point, we'd have got the points with the squad we have. Um, and sometimes I think what, what is really frustrating is 
it seems to happen to us every year. Currently, we just can't seem to catch a break where Lenehan doesn't have, you know, three, four, six, eight games out kind of in the first half of the season. Nyambi always tends to miss a little spell. Um, Ayala wasn't fit last season, really. Um, we can never seem to catch a break that we just get. Like that back, Kaminsky and the back four as they were was great. And, it, you know, other sides, you know, it's just, is it just bad luck? Is it something to do with, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's frust. I think, and that's where the frustration leads to. There's there's certainly a frustration. I think make a fair point in saying that it's ifs, buts, and maybes. And Alex, I'll let you have the final word on this one. Um, Ollie mentioned just then um, about how obviously we're un- unlucky with injuries, and that we can't necessarily blame it on the ifs, buts, and maybes. Of, of well, we should have signed this, should have signed them because we don't actually know. Would you go along with that? Would you say that it, we are a little bit unlucky when it comes to injuries? Or should we have more foresight in the transfer market to not sign injured centre halves? I think um, if you want a season where your squad goes totally injury free, then you're going to be waiting a long, long time. Uh, it's the reality of this contact sport, um, a physical sport that you will pick up injuries in your squad and it's the squads that tend to be the best prepared, the best recruited, the deepest uh, and the most well-rounded and well-balanced that tend to cope with that injury load better than others. I think you look at the players and you mentioned the players that Ollie was just talking about, Nyambe, Lennon and Arla. These are all players that have got non-injury records. You know, they do miss games every season. So you can't say that it's anything beyond the, uh, you know, the extraordinary that they miss the odd game or two. These players miss games every single season, season in, season out. And there's a reason for that. It's not because it's bad luck. It's because they're a bit more frail and they need to be managed properly. Their bodies need to be managed properly. Um, So, no, I wouldn't say that it's just totally bad luck. But I think... Another dimension about the signing of Van Heck is that, you know, we weren't shopping in Waitrose this summer. We were shopping in Aldi and Lidl this summer. And so there is that explanation to the fans that we might have had to take some deals on for financial reasons that we wouldn't have taken on in an ideal world. You know, the club, the club had leave itself short of bodies, even if that body might not be ready for another eight weeks. And so I can understand the club looking at the situation, saying, we need this body in, even if they're not going to be 100% ready, because we can't expect Wharton to be back and firing until at least Christmas uh, with that Achilles injury, because it's such a bad injury. And we all, you know, we know that uh, Ayala doesn't, you know, get many games you know, it's a miraculous run that he's on at the moment, actually. You know, and, and Dara always breaks down. So, you know, we don't know how Hayden's going to do when his first season in the Championship. So all of these kind of factors go into the equation to say, I understand why the club made the decision to sign Van Heck. Would it be a sign that I would have made? Probably not. Do I know an awful lot about him? No, I don't. But... Do I criticise the club for getting that extra body in when they probably ran out of options and that that was what they deemed to be the best they could get for the money that they could afford? And if that is the case, if that's the best that we could get for the money we had to try and reserve money in the tank for a striker, which I understand we didn't end up getting, so people were upset about that. But I understand if you want to save money in some areas to spend more in other areas, these are the sacrifices you've got to make. And maybe it's just bitten us a bit too early into the season, just before Scott Wharton gets back. Yeah, it and, has and, fallen at an unfortunate time. And we'll pay the price for that. Yeah, like you say, it's fallen at an unfortunate time. It's, it's bitten us quite early on. And it's worth noting that it is, whilst we know that Leonard and Nyambi tend to miss a few games, it is very unlucky that we just so happen to have missed them both um, at the same time, which left us a bit short in it at the back. And put it with Van Heck 
according to Brighton fans and from what they've said, is a superb player. I don't think there's much doubt in his ability. Um, I think Ryan did an interview um, with someone recently after the side and, and they said they're really excited for him to come here and show what he's worth. And if, if a cadre has anything to go by the quality of player they have, then it could be OK because for me, cadre has been quite excited when he's come off the bench. So I don't think there's any issue with the quality of the, of the player, more just the fact he's injured. Um, but I guess we will see. It's difficult. It's easy sitting here looking at everything from our offices or from our living rooms saying that we've got this and that and more should have done this. And, and hindsight's twenty twenty, isn't it? It's really easy looking at what's happened and saying, well, if he'd have done this, this wouldn't have happened. Um, that's the, the thing that we've got, though. That's what we do. We look at um, hindsight and, and say what should have happened as football fans, and we shouldn't do, but it's really easy to do, isn't it? You see it all the time. Um, anyway, moving on, though, I want to look at the Coventry and QPR games just very, very briefly with this before we move on to something a bit more exciting in, in Ben Burt and Diaz um, and the way he's taken the, the world by storm. Um, Ollie, Coventry coming up, I think one of you mentioned it would be eking out those 1-0 wins. There'd be no better team to do it against than Coventry, would the Third in the table, good form, performing well above expectations. So to beat them 1-0 would really, I guess it'd be a statement of intent in a way, because they're a difficult team to beat. Yeah, and I think, um, yeah, they've been pretty good this season, probably taken a few by surprise. Um, but I think if you know we're all well aware of this division that anyone beats anyone really on a given day. Um, you know they when you look at what you know the Fulham game, uh, the result they had um, was quite a surprise given that it was Fulham. Um, I think they came from behind as well. But it's um, yeah, it would be yeah it'd be quite something just to then kind of go right. We're playing the third team in the league at the moment and getting a result. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's Coventry City. Um, there's nothing to be scared of. Um, you know, we've got a win could put us back in the top six again and we can, you know, maybe reset after a bad couple of weeks. I think we should have a couple of players back um, this weekend. And then maybe back, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I think he is. I think it's yeah. I think it's still touch and go with um, Lenehan. But then yeah, yeah. I just think nothing. I, nothing should ever surprise us in this division when whoever you play. Um, but there's no reason we're not going to beat them at home. Um, so yeah, it'd be really nice. But they they seem to be. They've been scoring goals. Um, so yeah, I would. Yeah, let's see what our defence looks like uh, on the day. They have been scoring goals, but it's worth noting that Luton beat them 5 0. Um, obviously, the, the, the next, the, on, on Wednesday, they, so on Wednesday, the 29th, they got trounced 5 0 of Luton, but obviously, then beat Fulham 4 1. Um, but Luton are a basket. What did they lose at home to Birmingham? They, like... they lost something like I think it's a championship, isn't it? It's a crazy, crazy <laughs> league. How you beat. Um, yeah, mad. It, it is, but I guess, like you said, you mentioned that anyone can beat anyone on the given day, and I guess that's the beauty of it, and that's why every single game you're almost a little bit disappointed that you lose. In the Premier League, they got promoted in this magical land of, of fairies. You know that you're not going to be too disappointed if you lose a lot of the games, because a lot of the teams are going to be better than you. In the Championship, it's nothing like that. I think everyone, even if you're at the bottom of the table, goes into almost every single game thinking, can get something here, yeah. especially at home. So you think you make a fair point in saying that, obviously, with it being the championship, anyone can beat anyone, and it's the perfect time. Like I said, Coventry seems to be very up and down. Five nil defeat to Luton, four one victory against Fulham. Um, it is crazy. Not quite sure how it happened. Um, I think you're right. Luton then got trends five nil Birmingham or something <laughs> like that. It's a stupid league, um, but it's why we love it. Um, it's definitely the most exciting league in the world, in my opinion. Um, and I'll miss it when we go up, if we go up. We never will. We're stuck here forever. Um, <laughs> yeah. Alex, 
obviously we spoke about Coventry, QPR is then uh, midweek fixture, trip down to London. Again, quietly did some very good business. They're almost forming a Burnley B team with the strike force. They've got Charlie Austin and Andre Gray. Um, Ilias Chair as well, another player that I quite like. Um, obviously, I don't think he's got a Burnley connection, just a player that I think is quite good. Um, something there, do you think, for us? Or is it going to be another tough game that can be similar to the Huddersfield game? Uh- I can't believe I get normally called the negative one and Tom's just said we're going to be in the Championship forever. So I think uh, I want to go down today as the most negative one. Um, we will probably fluke up at some point in the future, hopefully. Um, but in terms of QPR, um, you have to say that it's the anniversary of the first ever Rob Watch Long, which is a, a good thing. It started our death spiral last season, so I hope that isn't repeated. But I hope going into the game more specifically uh, this season that we take advantage of QPR's weaknesses, which obviously lie in the defence. I think most Mark Warburton teams are known to get the ball into the forward line, score plenty of goals, but can be a bit more frail at the back. And I think the job for Rovers, certainly away from home, certainly that I've noticed this season, to not go into the game with an inferiority complex because of the players we don't have this season and actually go into the away game thinking, you know what, we can actually have a decent amount of the ball tonight. We can actually grip and carve out chances and take them. Um, the big problem, obviously, is the absence of, uh, of Briot and Diaz, which um, is just an inevitability and a consequence of the... Um, of the negotiations between governments around the red list situation. Um, so that's just something that we're going to have to deal with. Um, so certain, certainly Rovers go into the game as underdogs, I think. Um, but I think it's a game we certainly can win. I think we can win any game in this league. But I think the week will be made or broken by the two home games, um, you know, which bookend the, um, the, the away game at QPR. I think... Rovers are in the currency at the moment of winning as many home games as they can and getting whatever points they can, you know, squirrel up on the road. Um, we're not expected to be in the top six at the end of the season. We just need to kind of keep ticking along and pick as many points as we can. And I think the majority of those will have to be at home. And so it's, you know, looking forward now, if we manage to get a win against Coventry, then a draw away at QPR on a Tuesday night would not be a bad result at all. So the following home is winnable as well. That Reading game is very winnable after the QPR away. Absolutely, it is. I, I mean, all of our home games are winnable. You know, you can't go into any home game in this league fearing the opposition. I mean, that's just absurd. I think probably where Marbury fell down more than most last season was not capitalising on our home games and allowing some teams to kind of turn up at Ewood with the belief that they could pick up something, uh, pick up a point or or three even. And I think the job for Rovers this season is to try and beat as many teams as they can at home, even if we take a few more losses than we're used to. Often it's that kind of will to win and that mentality of how do we win this game rather than how do we not lose this game that gets you that extra couple of points that you need in those bad runs of form to kind of arrest the slide. So, yeah, all these things are circumstantial, but obviously Rovers go into it on the back of two losses. So we need to get that put right pretty quickly. You know, you lose against Coventry and then it's three losses in a row and then you're going away to QPR and it could be four. So all of that is kind of buzzing around in your mind. So you need to arrest that and try and get some points in these home games and then the QPR game will take care of itself. Definitely. And like I say, it's important that we don't do that this season and we make sure we do win those home games. I know that's obviously the aim every time, but we're always, you, you do never know. Um, so we're coming towards the end of the podcast now, but there's somebody I want to speak about before we do that. And Alex, I know you mentioned before, and that's big Ben Birds and Diaz. Obviously just scored a goal, a very important one for Chile. Um, it was against Paraguay, I think it was, wasn't it? Um, fantastic finish as well. It was a really underrated finish, I think. I know Rovers fans are loving it, but really was a cracking finish. Just, Again, really briefly, this just as a nice little feel good to end the podcast on. Ollie, how superb is it to see Ben Brereton 
flourish now at Blackburn Rovers. I think after, I remember he got sent off against Barnsley um, a couple of seasons ago. It doesn't feel like it was a COVID, but it was a couple of seasons ago. I think second to last game, third to last game, sent off. And people were saying that that was his Blackburn career over. I don't think that many agreed, but people definitely said it. And there was a reason they said it as well. He had a torrid time, torrid first season, torrid second season, really. How good is it though now with that he's come in, scored 10 goals in 11 games, the Championship's top scorer, has won a few Rovers fans a lot of money. It's brilliant, isn't it? It's worth that £7 million, £6 million fee we paid for him. It's definitely looking that way now. Um, I'm absolutely gutted I didn't know about the odds at the start of the season. Yeah, we've talked about hindsight being a terrible thing, but I you just really wish, I really wish I'd, someone had said, by the way, you can get 1,000 to 1 on him to score 20. I think it was only um, 1,000 to 1 for literally about an hour or so. Then it went down to 500 to 1, and then it ended up at 100 to 1 in the end. Either way, yeah, ridiculous. I saw the lads cashed out. His, I forget his name. It was in Lanks Live. I think he a twenty pound bet, and he's cashed out Ten for. Grand. Yeah, fair play. Congrats I mean, to you, sir. Congrats yeah. to you. Enjoy it. Um, no, it's really you know. I think I th- yeah, we've definitely covered his low moments, and I particularly remember that Barnsley game. But I think we've always. I think we've talked about him a lot on the pods, particularly when things have been bad. But kind of, I think we've often pointed towards he did lots of good things on the pitch, but then there didn't ever seem to be the goals or it didn't ever look like, is he ever really going to turn into an actual goal scorer? And given the position he seems to have kind of made his own last season. Um, and, you know, we lost Adam Armstrong and... There was, you know, we talked about there's this big hole to fill. Um, and even Gallagher's been probably better than expected when he's been fit this season. Um, yeah, it really, really impressive. Um, I, his all around game last season was, I, you know, I couldn't really fight. I think he was one of our best players last season. He was a huge miss. He was better last season, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a huge miss. When he got injured in December, I think that was, it was really noticeable um, when we were without him. Um, but yeah, but probably what's most impressive, well, yeah, if anyone said mid-October, he's joint top scorer on nearly a goal a game and he's already got a hat-trick. I, nobody, I don't know Rovers fan would have gone, yeah, that's what I'm expecting. I think even um, the 20, I think the 20 goal bet was almost done by some Rovers fans in jest. I think it was, yeah. obviously, don't blame them for putting it on because a tenner on that, you'll forget that you've spent a tenner the, the following week. And a thousand to one for an attacker to get goals in the championship. It's not the I mean Skybet was yeah. putting the odds on, but but you know do you know what I mean? It's one of them where you can sort of it wasn't necessarily yeah. put on seriously. Rawson's thinking he was going to do it, but so far this season, I said ten goals in eleven games. It's some going. And I think probably the probably the most impressive thing is that he's starting to look like a striker that's very confident and a goal scorer when he's in those right positions and getting himself in those positions. So the, what we saw last season, positional play, you know, aerial ability, winning the ball, holding things up, winning free kicks, bringing others into play, um, driving with the ball, taking players on, you know, driving into the box, creating chances. He was doing all of that last season, but he wasn't scoring lots of goals. Um, he's still that player and now he started scoring goals and I think yeah you look at that finish some of the finishes this, this season and that one for Chile the first touch and finish is that's just a goal scorer in really good form um, and then you start to look at you know all the jokes about the seven million um, you know we're a club that we're a selling club. We need to make the most of our assets when they come along and this may seem very preemptive but it's been talked about in our kind of Twitter group and stuff that, um, you know, if you get him down on a new contract and he, you know, rides this wave with Chile, he's worth more than Adam Armstrong this year. Like, I, think, I can't think like, who was it was said, but someone said, I think Spanish club, I don't know if it was you, uh, Alex, or whether it was Andy or Joe, some one of them said that obviously Spanish clubs pay a hell of a lot of money for South American players. But you're a looking at, a lot of money. let's say, 
you know, let's say he kind of chilly get through to, you know, qualification and stuff and he does hit 20 plus this season and we have him round through to the summer or even in January and we've got him on a new deal. You're not. We could have him when he's at the World Cup. I mean, we definitely are getting ahead of ourselves. But, but no, but you're not talking about, you know, Adam Armstrong was the new, when you're talking about value, he cost us seven million pounds, but he suddenly becomes, given his age and the profile that he's currently commanding in the media, um, he becomes a really valuable asset to the side, not only because he's scoring all of our goals at the moment, but, you know, you kind of, I always, you sort of have a nod to that, that the vultures come, they always do. So, um, but no, not this, yeah, couldn't be happier. Couldn't be happier. You know, I think he had a tough time, um, probably nearly broke things completely with the fans um, and justifiably so from kind of our perspective. But um, I think, yeah, that COVID season where I think he did quite well, um, where, you know, fans weren't in the stadium, worked hard, started improving his game. Our best goal scorer goes, there's a big, big weight put on his shoulders. And he, you know, he's even scoring the penalties. He's so, thrived under it, hasn't he? He's definitely yeah, you can't, you it. cannot begrudge. I, I really didn't expect him to be the penalty, penalty taker either. I'm not sure if you'd asked me at the start of the season who's on pens. I actually probably would have said I don't know. But I, he wouldn't have been top of my list. He's, um, he's thrived on that pressure, isn't he? He's got, he's, he's loving the fact that I think he's probably at the moment he's the focal yeah. point of Rob's attack. He's Rob's main man. And Alex, I'll finish it off with you. Um, it's just about how important has the Chile connection been to making all this come true? Because last season there were rumblings of it, and he's like last season he sort of had a good season. This season it has been absolutely phenomenal. Do you think the Chile thing has just brought him onto another level? I'll be honest, I think the Bereton Diaz story is one of the most ridiculous stories you could possibly think of, even more ridiculous than queuing up for petrol. Um, I just can put it down to one thing, and it's confidence. And you just get that ball rolling, Paul Slot down, he came back looking physically stronger, he looked faster, he looked more able to kind of use the assets he's got to his own advantage in the game. And I think as soon as he started doing that and the rumbling started around the Chile national team, his confidence grew even further. And it's just been a gradual process since then. I think the only difference in Ben Breton Diaz at the moment is confidence. And, I, and, I'll, and I'll take you back, I've told this story before that one of my laws as a Rovers fan was watching us concede four goals in the second half away at Brentford. And one of the things that happened before that game when I was watching the warm-up was there were ironic cheers going on when Brereton scored in the warm-up. And the, the relationship between him and the fans was just so... He was in the gutter that the fans thought it suitable to kind of almost ironically make fun of him and that's disgusting and that should never happen but that was the that was the lack of connection between him and the fans and then you and then you add to that the um the absurd video from the um fa cup third round game against birmingham when we had three strikers around the goal and none of them could stick the ball in the back of the net and you think about that and where we are now i mean it is just it's absurd the journey he's been on um I would just underline everything that Ollie said. I agree with, you know, pretty much all of it and, and what you've alluded to, Tom. It's just that post-lockdown freedom of being able to go out and express himself a little bit more, combined with the confidence of the Chile fans on social media constantly bigging him up and, you know, kind of encouraging him. And I think all of these things, all of these small things that might seem quite trivial to most people, I think we're a big deal for Ben because he was a very, very young player when he got signed for that big money and he was brought in with the expectation of being a big hit from the start and he wasn't. And I think the only thing that's changed for him is just that confidence. You know, you do see him sometimes in games where he, you see glimpses of the kind of that 
bumbling old self that we saw three seasons ago, but the progression has just been phenomenal and I'm so pleased for him and I'm so pleased now it's all worked out and um, yeah, you couldn't really wish for a better story. I, I don't think I, I, I think we could be here for another 25 years as Rose fans and there won't be a story like it. It's just been incredible to see really and long may it continue. I think that's quite a nice, nice little thing to end it on as well. It is an incredible story and I think I speak for all Rovers fans when I say we're absolutely delighted for Ben and the impact that he's making around the world. <laughs> it feels weird to say Ben Burton, born in Stoke, set in Chile alight. It really is superb. And I think every single Rovers fan will happily eat some humble pie and say, you know what, we got this one wrong. What a player he's turning out to be. And he's, he's really showing Mowbray that he was right to spend that money on them and, and Mowbray maybe did find a little diamond in the rough. Uh, on that note, though, we'll be finishing it there. Thanks again for listening. It's obviously appreciated. Sorry we didn't get any questions this time. It was one of them that we just... It's really difficult to put the question out on Twitter. Sometimes we're not that organised. Um, but, yeah, thank you very much for listening. Really appreciate it. I'm sure we'll see you very, very soon. Um, until then, though, goodbye. The Rovers Chat YouTube channel is proudly sponsored by SixYardsOut.com. They've got retro football from every era with mugs, phone cases and much more. They also have plenty of Rovers goods including apparel with the famous 94-95 season and this season's kit. Check them out using the link in the description below. Growing up, you and your buddies were always on the same page. Thursday was pickup basketball night. Saturday was an Xbox gaming binge, but then the buddies started falling off one by one. So what if they all have that ring on their finger and you're the only single bachelor left? You've got your own bling. And this one doesn't come with any commitment, just a few really good moments of chill bliss. Why the sheets not go for the gold? For a limited time at Sheets, get your hands on a $3.99 milkshake like the Toffrees. Made with Hershey's Heath Bars. Unwind with golden ribbons of buttery caramel and a heaping scoop of whipped cream. And don't forget, you can save $1 when you order on the app. At Sheets, there are endless options when it comes to delicious drinks. Coffee house style cold brews, hot coffees, lattes, shakes, refreshers, and so much more. Everything is customizable, so you always get exactly what you want. And when we say always, we mean 24-7, 365.